0: Thanks for listening to A Little More Conversation. I'm Ben O'Hara Byrne. Tonight, on the September the 8th, 2022, we pay tribute to Queen Elizabeth II, who passed away today at the age of 96, and look back at her incredible 70-year reign, both through the eyes of Canadians who met her, including a Toronto artist who painted her 2012 Diamond Jubilee portrait, and those who closely watched her through seven decades of service through times of glory and grief, crisis and celebration, How she managed to shift quietly with the times while remaining a symbol of stability. We look at her affection for Canada and the impact that it had on this country that changed dramatically over seven decades. And we ask what lies ahead for new king, Charles III.
1: As Queen of Canada, I would now like to extend to all the peoples of the world an invitation from the people of Canada...
2: She came to the throne in 1952. She reigned for 70 years. She
0: was simply, to millions around the world, the queen. The most famous woman of her time, from her coronation to the outpouring of affection on her diamond jubilee
2: marking 60 years on the throne. As her 12th Canadian prime minister, I'm having trouble believing that my last sit-down with her was my last... I will so miss those chats. She was our queen for almost half of Canada's existence. And she had an obvious, deep, and abiding love and affection for Canadians. Forever a part of our country's history, remembering Queen Elizabeth II.
0: Good evening. Thanks for being here on this day of mourning in Canada, Britain and around the world. A sad day, really. Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II passing away at Balmoral Castle in Scotland, her residence there at the age of 96 today. In Canada, many of us woke up to word from Buckingham Palace that the Queen had been placed under medical supervision over concerns about her health and that immediate members of her family were rushing to Scotland to be by her side. Hours later, though, the palace announced that she had in fact passed away. Here's how the Queen's death was announced. On the BBC today.
2: This is BBC News from London. Buckingham Palace has announced the death of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. In a statement, the palace said the Queen died peacefully at Balmoral this afternoon. The King and the Queen Consort will remain at Balmoral this evening and will return to London tomorrow.
0: Queen Elizabeth was the longest reigning monarch in British history, serving 70 years on the throne. For almost all of us, she has been the only British monarch we've known. A constant government's fall, leaders come and go, the world changes. But for 70 years, she was always there through times of glory and grief, crisis and celebration at home and abroad. And it's hard to imagine tonight in this time of such flux around the world, what it will be like without her. There is a new monarch. Her eldest son ascends the throne as King Charles the third as Britain's head of state, as Canada's as well. Condolences and memories quickly poured in from around the world, including here at home. Here's Governor General Mary Simon
3: tonight. She cared about Canada and all the unique stories that make up our beautiful country. She learned our stories as she visited every corner of Canada during her many royal tours. She called Canada her second home
0: and Prime Minister Trudeau earlier today.
2: She served us all with strength and wisdom for 70 years as we grew into the diverse, optimistic, responsible, ambitious, and extraordinary country we are today.
0: And joining me now is Patricia, Patricia Treble. She's a royal expert and author at Wright Royalty. Thank you so much for your time tonight.
1: Oh, you're more than welcome, Beth.
0: What a remarkable reign. I was reading the piece you wrote for Maclean's today about her mm-hmm. very long reign and, and how it all started. <laughs> uh, but really, just your reaction this morning when, when, when you heard.
1: You know, so I'm, I'm on the media list for Buckingham Palace. So when I got that first email, you know, saying she was under doctor supervision, I kind of went, okay, it's so, a you know, step up from the normal. But we've had, she's been suffering from bad, you know, from a series of bad health. Since um, late last fall, and so I was, I was like, okay, that's fine. But then I got the saw the tweet from the Archbishop of Canterbury asking everyone to pray for her, and then I kind of I st- I bolt upright. And I was like, oh, oh, this is this is serious. Um, it was such a shock. I mean, I was looking at that picture of of her with the new Prime Minister Liz Truss taken just mm-hmm. two days ago, and there's a twinkle in her eye. And if you watch the video, it's clear she is enjoying herself. I mean, yes, she was not able to go to London the way she normally does. They had to come up to Balmoral, but she was enjoying herself. Um, you know, this is, this is her and her element. Um, she was doing something she was incredibly comfortable with. I mean, 15 British prime ministers, 12 Canadian prime ministers. Did you notice, by the way, they all mentioned where they were in the pecking order? um Trudeau mentioning he was the 12th Martin mentioned he was the 10th I mean every you know where you are in the line
0: yeah (laughs) I I was yeah
1: and and so I I think it's there is great there's sadness of course but I mean she had an amazing life and I think that that is everything is tinged with that because I mean she was 96 she'd been on the throne for, for 70 years and and she just is ubiquitous and it's to take us a lot longer than we realize to know that she's not there anymore. She's been there simply always there for so long.
0: Yeah, I was noticing today that her first prime minister in England and Britain, Winston Churchill, was born in 1874. And the last one she met on Tuesday was born in 1975. <laughs> and what does that tell you about just what she had seen? Uh, but you're right. In fact, one of the last public statements she made, in fact, I think the last public statement was those condolences to the people of Saskatchewan yeah. over, you mm-hmm. know, right up to the very end. Her love of Canada was a deep one. You really did touch on that in what you wrote today.
1: Mm-hmm. She, she adored Canada. Um, she came here as a young princess in 1951. She and Philip went from coast to coast, they, every province, um, and she came back 22 more times as queen. Um, and she really did ador- like, she did adore Canada. Um, she always said it was like coming home, um, and it was it was absolute work. There was no question about it. Um, but I don't think you would make that many trips if it wasn't a little bit of fun as well. And she would often be able to get away, get away for a half day, get away for a day and do something she loved. Um, uh, I know that on the 1959 trip, which lasted more than 40 40 days, it was a humongous trip. Um, She actually got several days away and was able to, you know, get away and really explore parts of Canada that to be honest, you or I have probably never seen. Um, and and that's what, that's what's so interesting when I, when I hear all these stories about people who had interactions with them, there are so, just simply so many stories, um, and everyone remembers. Everyone was a little bit terrified at the time, but everyone remembers.
0: Yeah, you always I mean, remember obviously being a royal, being a correspondent in London. I did. I never got to meet the Queen, but I did get to see the Queen a lot. And just the way that that every time she would emerge from a vehicle, um, everyone would hush. Everyone mm-hmm. would stop talking.
1: It was was, was remarkable. And there was something about her silence. You see, I think think there was power in silence because she never gave an interview, a media interview. She would do occasionally voiceovers for documentaries, but never gave a media interview. You never really knew what went on in her head. You never knew where she lined up politically. I mean, she was always the head of the nation. She was never into partisan politics. Of course, that is not her role as, as monarch. Um, but simply because there was that mystery, that enigma, you and she was from a different era, she was from an era when one didn't, you know, talk about absolutely everything all the time, that I think there was that appreciation for her. I think that's, that's part of her appeal, is the fact that she was ubiquitous, but we really don't know her, do we?
0: Not much. I mean, we know bits and pieces. I remember so many people trying to sort of divine what it was that she would be thinking about or trying to parse her words to find some sort of meaning, whether it was during the Scottish referendum or any other of those, trying to figure out what she was saying, but she always managed to walk that line, to sort of stay both reserved, but in some ways, as you pointed out, also uh, quite approachable in many ways.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, she's famously approachable. I mean, you, you, know, you talk about... Um... Uh, Catherine Clark, who is the daughter of Joe Clark, Prime Minister, on um, a lovely Twitter thread, when she talks about she was 10 years old, she was taken out of school because she was going to be able to meet the Queen. And the Queen looked at her and just said, why aren't you at school? And she said, well, my parents thought that this would be more important, meeting you. And then later, there were she was at this fu- the, the same function, and I guess Catherine was just sitting on a chair she wanted to go because, I mean, she's a 10-year-old, she's a little bit bored. But she can't leave without the Queen. And all of a sudden, the Queen is there, and the Queen is like, why are you still here? And Catherine's like, well, I can't leave without you. And so the Queen says, okay, let's go. (laughs) And I mean, she had that, she had, there was an impish sense of humor. A lot of it was kept very controlled and very behind the scenes. If you didn't know her, you wouldn't know about it. But that was the wonderful thing about the pandemic. As awful as the pandemic was, you saw the Queen on Zoom. And you saw those interactions, you saw those tiny little, you know, gives and takes back and forth um, that everyone talked about. And then now the whole world could see them on Zoom because the Queen had to adopt to a new technology.
0: Patricia Treble is with us, royal expert and author at Right Royalty. We're talking about the passing, of course, today of Queen Elizabeth II Mm -hmm. uh, and her legacy, both here at home and around the world. So what now? I mean, I realize that because um, she passed away at Balmoral, that it changes things over the next week or so. We're going to see <laughs> something maybe that we didn't expect to see in terms of, you know, a celebration and uh, the tributes to her over the next week or so.
1: Yeah, I mean, so they've been planning for this a long time, royal officials. Um, the Queen has been involved. Queen signed off on it. Um, the plan is called London Bridge. Um, and they they named them all after bridges. Um Go figure. It's it's a British thing. Um and but the one thing is they they plan for all the contingencies. You know, if her majesty were to die here, she were to die here, she would die here. And beside Balmoral, um they put a note saying the most difficult because it's literally at the very top of Scotland. Um so what's gonna happen is the focus is really gonna shift more to Charles for the next few days. Um eventually the Queen's uh, coffin will be brought down to Edinburgh. And then it will be taken, likely by royal train, down to London, um, for kind of you know what we're used to seeing for royal funerals. There'll be a lying in state. Um, there'll be all the pageantry, um, but it will be pageantry on a scale that we haven't seen for decades upon decades upon decades. Um, but the focus really will be, firstly, on Charles, um, because of course he has to have a succession council. Um, he now he is, he is king. There is no question. The moment the Queen died, her last breath is followed by the first breath of the new monarch. Um, but you have to have the Accession Council, which is uh, the, the fancy name for the Privy Council when it's dealing with the accession. He has to swear an oath. Um, there must be the proclamations which are put out. And that, that was simply from a time when you needed to tell everyone. You didn't stand on on street corners and say, hey, we've got a new monarch. This is the person's name. You're going to obey them. Um, and also he's going to address Britain and the Commonwealth. Um, and then you're going to see him and other members of the royal family out um, during the days between now and the Queen's funeral, um, which usually takes place about 10 days afterwards. So the the thinking is it's likely going to be um, not this coming Monday, but the Monday after. Um, I think it's the 19th, but I won't... I won't swear to that because I haven't looked at the calendar, but it's definitely the Monday is, is the thinking. Um, and you're going to be seeing Charles and, of course, his queen, Camilla, um, in all the nations of Britain. Um, so expect to meet in Scotland, England, Northern Ireland, um, and also in Wales, in the Principality of Wales. And you're going to be seeing other members of the royal family uh, coming out and about, likely meeting people who are lined up to... Um, you know, see Her Majesty's coffin lying in state, um, and if tradition follows, you'll also have likely the four children, maybe, um, paying honour to the Queen by actually taking over one of the um, uh, at the lying in state. They they could they might mm-hmm. stand in the four corners, and they've done that bef- they, they've done that before. Um, but there's going to be something every day. Uh, it's it's the sort of thing where it's 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 busy. Um, because there, there just simply are a lot of moving parts. This is a huge, huge event, and you have to get people from around the world there. Um, and yeah. so, there's going to be a lot happening,
0: and something we haven't seen uh, in you know since 1953. Mm-hmm. So it's been Charles has a lot on his a lot ahead of him, doesn't he? I mean, he's been no. he's the oldest ever to take over as monarch. Uh, he's been mm-hmm. waiting. He's been in wait a long time for this. The challenges ahead for him in the next few days. What do you think they might be?
1: I think the challenge is simply, it must have come as a shock. I mean, look, you know, we all saw, saw, you know, as I said, the pictures of of the Queen two days ago. He has been up at at Balmoral. Um, He and Camilla stay at another, um, they don't stay in the main castle. Um, So he's been seeing the Queen, um, you know, for for the last few weeks, has to have known that her health was, of course, you know, not doing well. We were all looking, you know, we've been looking at her over these, these months and seeing that she's been getting, you know, thinner and thinner and more frail. Um, but I think there's the shock because it's, it's it's a dual grief because you've got the private grief. It's his mother who's died, but you've also got the public grief because, of course, he is a public figure. Um, and he, he is grieving for the nation, for the Commonwealth, for Canada, um, for the monarch. Um, and so it's that dual role, which I think must be, must be terribly hard. Um, I can't imagine anyone doing that in the, in the full glare of, of the media, but as you said, look, he's had decades of training, um, you know, probably the most, the, the most wide ranging interests of any heir apparent that there has ever been simply because he's had the time and he's also had the inclination. So the environment and all that sort of stuff. But now the question is, he's going to be monarch. Um, he has to be apolitical. He has to be above the fray. And so a lot of the advocacy he was able to do as Prince of Wales, he will no longer be able to do. Now, some things have now become standardized. When he first started talking about the environment, it was incredibly political and it was incredibly controversial. And now it's so standard that when COP26 happened in um, Glasgow, the entire royal family was there. Um, so, it's going to be, I think, a challenge for him. Um, but I think it's one that he's been slowly moving into over the certainly the certainly the pandemic. He's taken on more and more and more duties.
0: Patricia Treble, uh, we'll be watching. It's going to be ten days, or unlike we've seen mm-hmm. many of us in our lifetimes. Thank you so much for your time tonight.
1: Oh, you're more than welcome, Ben.
0: There are probably few tasks as intimate as painting a portrait of someone. Now, imagine if that someone was the Queen. That is precisely the job that was given to Canadian artist Phil Richards more than a decade ago. He was chosen, amongst many Canadian artists, to paint the Queen's Diamond Jubilee portrait, a task that would take him the better part of two years to complete, and that included meetings and correspondence with the Queen herself. And he was impressed Uh, She was a very good subject, apparently. Ultimately, it was unveiled in London at Buckingham Palace in the presence of Her Majesty, as well as uh, the Right Honourable David Johnston, who was Governor General then, as well as Prime Minister Stephen Harper, all this back in June of 2012. I don't know if you've seen the painting. It's quite a great-looking painting. It's big, uh, almost three metres tall. It depicts the Queen standing in front of an arched doorway in Rideau Hall, A portrait of her great-grandmother, Queen Victoria, is behind her. She wears a white dress with a chiffon skirt. She carries white satin gloves in one hand. And her jewelry includes a diamond tiara, tiara, earrings, a bracelet, and a three-strand festoon necklace. I've obviously read the description of it. I've seen the painting. It's great looking. But what went on to paint it? And what was she like to talk to? What did she think when it was unveiled? With answers to all those questions, joining me now is Canadian artist Phil Richards, uh, who's speaking to us tonight from Toronto. Thanks so much for your time.
3: Oh, thank you. Thank you. I
0: guess just your initial reaction to, to hearing the news today.
3: Well, I, it's, uh, it saddens me. Um, I, I thought she would live forever. She's been a part of my life. You know, she became queen when I was less than one year old. And so my whole life I've, I've known her as the queen. I remember going to grade school and and singing God save the queen every single morning we were at school. So I, I was always fascinated by this, that there was a real person behind this, this uh queen figure that we sang to. You know, every morning we asked her to, you know, be, you know, happy and, and glorious and victorious. And, so yeah, it's um, it also it it kind of feels like the end of an era somehow. Because I, I never could have imagined you know, life without her. But so it is. It is a sad, sad day.
0: I imagine you spoke when you um, you spoke about wanting as an artist always wanting to have that opportunity to paint her portrait. Why was that?
3: She was one of the the first figures I ever did a portrait of when I was very, very young, maybe three or four years old. Wow. I, I can still recall doing these, these uh, contour profiles of, of her based on the stamps. Like back in the, this would have been the early mid fifties. Uh, I think the, the one cent, two cent, three cent stamps, they were all like profiles of Queen Elizabeth. And so as a little kid, uh I, I would take these stamps and and do do uh you know not not trace them but just do drawings of that profile so she's one of the first pro- portraits i ever did as a as a youngster and then when i when i became a um a professional artist uh, and, and started doing I, I didn't start off by doing solely portraits i kind of grew into that but when i started doing more portraits uh the idea of painting a queen was always the the kind of uh, pinnacle ach- achievement for for any portrait painter anywhere around the world. How um, did that How did that opportunity come about? Well, in uh, probably around two thousand and nine, the the uh, Queen's Canadian Secretary at the time, uh, Kevin Macleod, he approached the uh, Stephen Harper government. He approached the Prime Minister about uh, getting a new uh, state portrait painted of the Queen to commemorate her her diamond jubilee, which was coming up in 2012. And uh, Prime Minister Harper agreed to the the project and uh, Kevin sent out um, uh, letters to a, a number, quite a number of portrait painters in Canada. You had to be a Canadian citizen to be part of it. Asking for uh, if you're interested in in competing for this uh, commission, just send in a portfolio of I think six uh, previous artworks and a letter of intent. So um, that that's the the first inkling I had that the, I might have the opportunity to to paint the Queen. So I sent the the portfolio. They, they gathered up a, a, a long list uh, of artists. They winnowed it down by a, a committee in Ottawa, winnowed it down to, I think, five or six portfolios that were sent over to Buckingham Palace. And the Queen uh, went through the portfolios and chose the artist that she wanted to, her, uh, to paint her uh, Diamond Jubilee portrait. So that's how it came about. And that was you. And that was yeah, her. yeah. You know, fortunately for me, the, I was uh, the one that she chose. So I've I've heard forever, you de- I'm have yeah. you. forever grateful for that.
0: I've heard you describe that process as being not like sort of sort of sitting down and doing, you know, what we imagine someone sitting down and quickly sketching something out that you really went about this in a
3: very methodical way. Um, how did that work? I started off with, a, with an idea and then thumbnail sketches and worked work my way through it. What's different about painting portraits from uh, painting uh, other pictures is that the portrait is a collaboration between the artist and, and the sitter. And I say that to, uh, to all of my sitters, I tell them at the beginning that I want, I, I believe it's a collaboration and I want you to, to give me the, the raw material to work with to come up with a really good uh, work of art that will you know, pass the test of time. So even with Queen Elizabeth, I said this at the beginning, and she agreed that, that she thought that was a good way of going about it. And uh, as a matter of fact, in in our most um, important uh, meeting, which was a, a private um, audience with Queen Elizabeth in February of 2011, I went over to Buckingham Palace, and it was just the just the two of us. I I had brought. Uh, 25 preparatory works with me, which included uh, sketches, uh, more elaborate drawings, uh, small paintings, maquettes, and even a couple of sculptures that were the preparatory work for the, the portrait of the Queen. So I went through this fairly lengthy lecture on uh, what I had been doing. And at the end of our, our meeting, which lasted about oh, 45 minutes or uh, a little bit more, maybe, Uh she she paused and said, you know, um, if I'd been an artist, this is exactly the way I would like to have worked. That's remarkable. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's a great sign, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I was really quite taken with that because what, what it meant was that, you know, we had these kind of a like-minded sensibility and we were completely on board with uh, with what we viewed as the the proper way of going forward to create this uh this image uh, for her portrait, so yeah yeah I, I was really quite taken with that what was she like i
0: mean uh, just that tells you so much about both the woman and the monarch in some ways doesn't it
3: yeah well uh, what I was surprised by was how different she was from the the kind of public figure that I'd gotten to know up to this point because I always thought of her as very quiet and reserved and you know I'd seen her Christmas addresses pretty pretty much throughout my whole life and she's very measured in, in the way she presents herself in public but in private she's much more relaxed and and uh too witty and uh, and she makes you feel quite at ease and she's she's also extremely intelligent. I was I was amazed at had her her recall of uh, all kinds of things, but but especially of of art history and you know art aesthetics and uh, just her her um, knowledge of of uh, history and especially art history amazed me.
0: Our guest this half hour is Canadian artist Phil Richards. We're talking about the Diamond Jubilee portrait he painted of the late Queen Elizabeth II. Uh, It was unveiled back in 2012, but it took several years to put together. He's been explaining some of that process as well as his meetings uh, with the Queen and what it was like and just how impressed he was with her, not just as a monarch, but also just as a subject uh, for his painting. Uh, how did it unfold from there, uh, Phil, once, once she, she obviously really liked the way you were going to go about doing this, and then you set about actually putting it together, and, and I imagine you had to speak to her again at some point.
3: Yeah, well, after that, um, that private audience with her, uh, there was uh, email uh, correspondence throughout the next um, a year, I guess it was. And so I, I would move move forward and do a. But after that meeting, I, I got a letter from from her uh, telling me how impressed she was with the the presentation, uh, and that and she gave me the the go ahead to to move forward to the to the final painting. Um, you know, without having her having to give the the go ahead further on. So that that was uh, that. You know, made me feel more relaxed, but I, I kept on sending her uh, JPEGs of the of the process as it was going. So I ended up doing a preliminary maquette after that meeting, and then I did a final maquette, which was like a a kind of one ninth uh, size version of the final painting. And then when I was doing the final painting, when it was finished, I sent her a JPEG of the of the finished product. So. Uh, she I, I kept in touch with her right up to the to the final painting. And uh, but she hadn't seen she'd only seen JPEGs when we, we finally unveiled it in June of 2012. She'd only seen the JPEGs to that point.
0: What was her reaction? Because obviously this was far larger than a JPEG, right?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that that was the OK. Um, if you look at the the uh, unveiling was filmed. And if you look at the film, you see she pulls the the string that and then the uh, drapery comes off the painting at sunville she walks to the front of the painting and she pauses there and then she looks to her left where i was and she says uh philip uh you've changed this quite a bit since i last saw it so i walked over to her and i said well yeah but because the, the last maquette you saw was six by nine inches and this thing is six feet by nine feet said so she said no no it's not the size it's it's these things over here and she pointed to uh Uh, a a desk, a Carlton desk that was uh, depicted beside her figure in the painting, and on that desk were some still life elements, you know, including an ink pot and ink wells and a a flower vase with a rose in it and a basket of of flowers, that kind of thing. She said, you've moved these things around, you've changed it, why did you do that? (laughs) I thought, well, oh, oh, what she we was attentive. She was, she knew, yeah, she knew yeah. she was, she was paying attention. That's great. I, I was amazed that, that nobody else I, I could imagine would have remembered these, because these were small changes. Like, you know, I move things, maybe, a, you know, a half an inch one way or the other. It, uh, I was just amazed. So I explained to her why I had done it. I was trying to tighten up the composition and just kind of unify the whole you know, uh, painting and, and just make the whole thing work. So she accepted that explanation and then we were, we we're okay from there. I noticed
0: in the painting and you pointed this out earlier that you tried to make her relatable that she has a smile. Like there's, there's something, um, there's a bit of mirth there. And I think, and I was wondering yeah. what, what made you decide that that had to be in.
3: Well, what, what I was trying to do with, with the portrait of her was, um, She was an interesting subject in that the the whole world had these multiple images of what Queen Elizabeth looked like from the time she was a young princess. Like everyone knew what she looked like as a as a five year old, then as a 15 year old, then as a as a a princess, a married princess, and then as as a mother and then as a grandmother and all these different images of of what Queen Elizabeth looked like. I wanted to paint a portrait at, at this, she was like 84, I think when I first uh, started the portrait of her, I wanted to paint a face that was that kind of contained all of these different faces of Elizabeth through the decades of her life. And so, you know, I, I thought that a toothy smile was out uh, because she, she, she doesn't like a toothy smile herself, uh, when she told me. Um, But I thought there should be uh, a hint of a hint of a smile in there. Because at at the um, the interview, the the audience I had with her in 2011, I brought along this, this uh, grise-eye, like a grayscale uh, portrait, um, just of of her head. And I told her, I said that uh, I find this, this is an important kind of watershed moment in the production of this painting. Here's a, your face painted in the grayscale that I think depicts the character and the mood and the atmosphere that I want in the painting. So I handed it to her, and she looked at it and, and kind of laughed and says, "Oh, you've made me look friendly." And I said, "Well, and you're not." And she just just laughed at, at that. But but she she agreed that the uh, the face I had, had depicted for her. Um, Caught something of her real character, so that that's what I was after in the in the in the final painting too.
0: When you look at the painting now today, um, it must bring back a lot of memories.
3: It does, it does, because it was you know it it was a over over two years through the whole project, and then once the painting was unveiled, you know there was a the NFB made a film about it, and I you know I did numerous presentations. So so from from the, the time I got that letter from Kevin McLeod in 2010 right up to the present like she's been a, a big part of my artistic life and uh, you know, career and, and reputation so it's yeah um, I, just, I just can't believe that she's gone
0: I think you share I think everyone shares your sentiment Phil Richards thank you so much
3: thank you
1: I am proud to be with you today, not only to celebrate the patriation of the Constitution, but to rejoice in Canada, its past, its present, and its future.
0: Perhaps no more momentous moment in a Queen's visit than that one in 1982 in Ottawa, signing the proclamation that repatriated the Constitution, ending the role of the British, British Parliament in Canada's affairs. Uh, it also, of course, that same act includes the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Uh, she witnessed many changes over her 70 years, and certainly Canada changed dramatically over that time as well. Uh, but we are a constitutional monarchy. So what exactly happens that we know as, as a people that this may be a time to reflect on the nature of the monarchy, on what it means to us? Uh, but in terms of how the monarchy itself impacts us, the day-to-day functioning might not change so much. Someone who knows a lot about this and has just written a really fascinating article about it is Nathan Tilridge. He's a teacher, a historian, author, and vice president of the Institute for the Study of the Crown in Canada. Thank you for your time tonight.
4: Uh, thanks for having me.
0: Just your first reaction to when you when you saw heard the news today? I, I think it, it impacted a lot of us. I think a lot of us um, felt it came really suddenly.
4: Yeah, it was it, it was an event that we all knew that was coming, and then when it finally did, it just it it seemed to just happen really quite suddenly. That's that's the best way I can kind of describe it. So, um, yeah, it, it, it definitely a, a historic moment uh, and a historic day with a lot of reflection.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess I, I read through a really interesting piece that you put up just about what changes. I mean, we're a constitutional yeah. monarchy What happens? What's the impact? And I gather at least from the top down, it's not much, right?
4: That's right. Actually, uh, it, it was really interesting that you're, you're citing the 1982 constitution because that's, like you said, that was a big moment for our country. And uh, due to the provinces, it was the provinces advocating it, they actually enshrined the crown or entrenched it in our constitution. So Canada is one of the only countries in the world, if I think actually we're the only country in the world, that has the crown entrenched in its constitution. So it would require all of the legislatures uh, to agree to, uh, to to get rid of it. Uh, something right. that's never really happened in Canadian history. And it also, at the same time, it reaffirmed treaty rights, which uh, is another important uh, aspect of the crown in this country. So... Um, it's really kind of the, the the very structure of our democracy, and that was really cemented in 1982 with the uh, with the Constitution Act.
0: And yet, in this case, it remains. I mean, you're right that the the idea of the crown remains very much entrenched in who yeah. we are. But but the the monarch's role is quite limited. And when a monarch yeah. passes and a new one comes in, it doesn't really. It, what impact will it have on us?
4: Yeah, it, very little so uh we've already transitioned to a new reign that was that was instantaneous and so uh really on the surface what happens is is any references to the queen now become references uh to the king and there's been a, a few kind of announcements across the country uh about that Th- there will be important ceremonies uh you know accession ceremonies and things like that but they're really just confirming what's already happened so, uh as a matter of kind of the machinery of government, it continues on it it kind of chugs on uh with with no changes really whatsoever to the to the day to day running of the country
0: in terms of uh, of just the queen 's reign, her seventy years because she lived through a lot of momentous times in our country, the flag, you know, the referendum, um, the advancement of reconciliation. There was a lot of different things happening in our country over the time that she was in power as our monarch, um, as our head of state. How do you think she did?
4: I mean, it's really quite remarkable when you take in, yeah, that swath of history uh, and, and quite a chaotic federation that's still not done kind of forming into what it needs to be. And so uh, she has kind of been there all along, kind of in in, in the backdrop, but at the same time, um, being there when that institution and when the person of the monarch was needed. And so the example I would give would be in 1990 during the, um, the separation crisis uh, with Quebec. And the Queen arrived and said, I'm not just a fair weather friend. I, like, I am here for these difficult times as well. And I think that, that that kind of came to the fore, too, when the Prince of Wales was here in um, meeting with Indigenous folks and and um, and... At hearing their stories and their teachings um, I unfortunately wasn't here very long that, that wasn't his fault that's that's the government of Canada but that's that's how the crown kind of operates and so I think when it's allowed to function in the way that it's it's meant to uh, quite successful and the fact that here we are 70 years later and the crown is still very much kind of a part of our democracy, that shows the, the real success of, of her reign.
0: Yeah, I, I was always um, curious during those times of political instability in this country because I also covered the Scottish referendum uh, mm-hmm. there, and there was obviously, uh, you know, everyone was watching to see what the Queen would say if she would say anything particularly political, and she didn't really. Actually, we have that uh, we have a clip from 1990 of the Queen speaking about uh, one week after the failure of the Meech Lake Accord.
1: Many okay. Canadians, as well as I do, I cannot believe that they will not be able. After a period of calm reflection, to find a way through the present difficulties.
0: Very much the Queen
4: speaking, wasn't it? It was very much, yes.
2: What, um, and it's
4: interesting, uh, yeah. and yeah, that's she's saying what everybody knows. Uh, she's not saying anything particularly controversial, but she's also saying what kind of what needs to be said. It's an appeal to unity. Um, and and that's really what the institution is meant to be, or at least here in this federation. Um, It's this kind of uh, constant part of the democracy that uh, provides that stability. Uh, And then when you take into account uh, treaty relationships, you you know, that role in itself too is is quite critical to the survival of Canada as a nation.
0: Tell me about the treaty, because that's something we haven't talked about a lot today, uh, but mm-hmm. I know Canada's Indigenous peoples have a have a have a have a slightly different kind of relationship with the crown than perhaps people know.
4: Yeah, and I mean it 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 depends on the nations that we're talking about. So in mm-hmm. British Columbia, very different relationships than the relationships Indeed. here in uh, in Ontario. But uh, uh, treaties are made with the crown, and uh, with that, there's a personal relationship that's entered into with the with the person of the monarch, and so the, the, whoever the monarch is, that becomes quite important. And then there's this idea of the honor of the crown that is supposed to inform treaties, which uh, historically we have not we have not seen, but there is certainly a revival that is going on right now, right across the country. Um, and Perry Bellegarde, who is the former. Uh, National Chief of the Assembly of first nations he 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 put it quite eloquently that that the Crown's role now is as as witnesses and and caretakers of treaty while the governments are meant to action what it is the treaties are supposed to do. so they're there to to watch and to witness and to um, ensure that the honour of the Crown is maintained. Um, and so that's that's quite a complex relationship, and it's one that I, I feel that Canada right now is rediscovering.
0: And I think it's something that uh, that King Charles may be more familiar with than his mum would have been, perhaps, just because of the amount of time that he spent um, looking at these issues.
4: Yeah, I, I, I would completely agree with you. And uh, it, there's numerous foundations, and, and in particular, the work of the Princess Trust here in Canada that has really put him... Um, in, in a lot of close contact with uh, Indigenous leaders right across the country. And, and Charles himself has commented on that. Uh, so I hope that he's, um, he, he's allowed to be in the country more uh, uh, by the government. He requires an invitation by the government of Canada. Uh, he required it when he was Prince of Wales, but now as sovereign, it's, it's the same thing. And, uh, and I hope those invitations are extended so that those relationships can be further developed and strengthened.
0: He is was at her side, along with Queen Consort Camilla, which is distinct from the Queen, regnant as the Queen was, and he is the king. He'll be flying down to, to London tomorrow. He'll be uh, meeting up with the Privy Councillors, and he's sworn in um, as king, but he's automatically king. That is Royal Commentator Robert Jobson in London today talking about uh, the transition. From Queen Elizabeth II to King Charles III, I'm speaking with Nathan Tilridge. He is a teacher, historian, author, and vice president of the Institute for the Study of the Crown in Canada. We've been talking about uh, just the impact on Canada as a constitutional monarchy. The role of the crown in our constitution it has a different role than uh, any other place uh, we were talking mm-hmm. about. And also just the way that uh, that King Charles may approach this relationship that canada has this unique relationship canada has with with the crown i guess to get to the questions that i've been asked a lot about today because you touched on in this in this article you wrote today is just some of the direct changes we're going to see when it comes to you know just the name changing names currencies stamps all the things people i mean the queen has been such a part of our lives for so long i think most of us can't even imagine what what uh, what a you know a currency would look like without the queen on it or any of those things
4: yeah, I think uh it was like when you when we started reading the messages and the messages said uh, from the king or, or, or referencing Charles as the king it's something that kind of uh, just kind of uh, stand, stands out to you and I think the same thing will happen too when you you know see the image on the on the money or the stamp it just it signals that the you know a change has happened and um it it, it it's it's a um It's a cause for reflection, which is, I think, a very healthy thing and what we'll be going through over the next few weeks.
0: But when you look at sort of the the impact it'll have directly, like this isn't going to happen overnight. There's no sort of dramatic changes that are made. Everything sort of goes along quite slowly, I understand.
4: Yeah, that's right. And all all the uh, the, kind of the the big changes have already happened. They were put in place uh, years and years ago, so uh, people would have been prepared for this. Uh, so that they could be made uh, uh, quite quickly. Um, There's no need to swear in the government or there's no changes to the Lieutenant Governors or the Governor General, they just continue on now. Um, They're just now representing the King versus the Queen. Um, no laws need to be changed. No proclamations need to be read as well. That, that's something that I've heard is that you know Canada needs to you know make a proclamation or something like that, and 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 that is not the case. Um, it, it, it was an automatic switch.
0: Of course, I suppose in the court system, we're going to be seeing a lot of quick changes because you know we've referred to the you know the, the her, we've referred to Her Majesty or the Queen a lot in legislation and so on, and within the court system.
4: Yes, and I, I saw that on uh, social media a lot, uh that the uh they, the court of the, the Queen's bench was switched over to the King's bench, but there were some problems with some of the websites still showing one or the other. Um yeah, there's those little kind of um uh, those little changes will be will be happening over the next coming days as uh, as people update websites and stationery and things like that, for sure.
0: But just like maybe, if you could think back long enough, well, I'm old enough to remember when you got a penny with 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 a king on the back, right That's it was right. A, an yes. old old one so so nothing changes. everything you hold is valid, everything there's nothing, there's no change there I mean it sounds like a, That's like right. a like we a don't have to question.
4: your money or anything yeah no it, it, the money is still legal tender, the stamps will still will still send the mail. All that still holds true the the passports will still get you. To and uh, to and from uh, Canada to wherever uh, that doesn't change. It just means that everything from this moment on will will reflect the change in rain.
0: And I guess one of the things that was interesting is just what does Canada do? Because I think there's been a lot of talk about what's going to happen in Britain. We know about the different plans that are in place for the next 10 days or plans that have been in place for a very long time. In Canada, what are the plans? I know there are books of condolences uh, in many parts of the country right now, including at Rideau Hall. I know that flags are flying. Flags have been lowered already. But what what does Canada do over the coming days to to recognize the passing uh, of the Queen and and? the ascension or at least the ascend- ascending to the throne of the king?
4: Uh, well, due to the nature of our federation, it'll, it'll depend on each jurisdiction. So the federal government will, will likely be in mourning for 10 days. So the flags will be lowered and messages of condolence will be sent by the prime minister and, and various dignitaries to uh, the royal family. There will uh, very likely the prime minister and the governor general will attend the, uh, the funeral uh, in the United Kingdom, in in I believe ten days' time, so you'll see things like that. Yes, you'll see books of condolence. You'll see a lot of um, um, uh, reflective pieces, uh, like in the news and on television and things like that. As far as formal um, formal events, that will depend on jurisdiction to jurisdiction. But I I would expect you know. Uh, for religious folks, there will be different um, services, uh, uh, celebrations of life or services in memory. Uh, there may also be what's called accession councils, called in the different provinces, and that's just where their formal. Um, recognition of Charles as becoming king uh, is is read out. Uh, it's basically just um, going through the motion to to reinforce what's already happened. You'll see that certainly on the federal level, but I think some of the provinces are going to do it as well.
0: Well, Nathan Tillridge, uh, for someone who is uh, vice president of the Institute for the Study of the Crown in Canada, this is certainly going to be a, a time of change, I think, uh, not, not dramatic change, uh, but I imagine it'll take some time for all this to sink in.
4: I think so. I think it's a cultural moment. It's it, it's a big one. And there's a real sense of, I think, an end of an era, certainly in the great span of the Queen's life that begins with service in the Second World War. So I think it's a cultural moment, too. This is going to be a big event, a, a big international event that I don't think we're ever going to see something like this again, certainly for this generation. And so it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds.
0: Well, thank you again for your time tonight. All
4: right. Take care. Industry and
1: commerce may bring wealth to a country, but the character of a nation is formed by other factors. Race, language, religion, culture and tradition all have some contribution to make. And when I think of the diversity of these factors in Canada today, and the achievements that have grown from their union, I feel proud and happy to be queen of such a nation.
0: The Queen, speaking back in 1957 on a visit to Canada, one of 22 as queen, one of 23 total. Uh, The Queen's attachment to the Commonwealth is well-known. Her attachment to this country was unmistakable. She visited here again 23 times, uh, beginning in 1957 with those words, you just heard when she and the duke of edinburgh made a four-day visit to hall in ottawa where they officially opened that fall session of parliament all the way back in 1957 she would return for a six-week tour of all provinces and territories just a few years later in 1959 and she came back for some of the biggest events in our history expo 67 the montreal olympics in 1982 to sign the proclamation of the constitution act the 125th anniversary of confederation the commonwealth games in victoria finally a nine-day trip with Prince Philip in 2010. The Prime Minister said today the Queen had a, quote, obvious, deep and abiding love and affection for Canadians. Well, joining me now to look at her relationship with our country and our relationship with her is Keith Roy of the Monarchers League of Canada. Thanks so much for your time tonight.
5: No, thanks for having me, Ben.
0: I guess just your initial reaction, I think we, um, this morning, I think we understood that she was in ill health and poor health. Um, but she was. we just watched images of her with Liz Truss, the new British Prime Minister, the other day, and it all seemed quite sudden. It's, it's quite
5: remarkable that uh, she, she worked until her last day, had a job she loved. Uh, she performed that job admirably, uh, passed away at, uh, at the old age of 96, and, and did so at, um, at a beloved home uh, at Balmoral with her family around her. Uh, we can, we could all be so lucky to live such a meaningful life and have it come to such a a perfect ending.
0: What was your reaction when you heard? I know this is something close to you.
5: Yeah, you know, it, it's obviously a personal sadness. I have a, a deep affection for Her Majesty, as as many Canadians do, and people around the world. Um, I've I've never heard anyone have an ill word to say about uh, the Queen personally um, taking the institution aside. So, uh, she's just a beloved figure and it's also a day of you know, celebrating a, a life very, very well lived. Uh, you know, we, we could all be so lucky to, to have a, a job we love and a, and a family that we're close to and, and to be so committed with such a sense of duty. Um, her, her steadfast duty in her role is, it's, it's just so admirable. Um, so there's a lot to you know there's a, there's a great life to celebrate and um, and a loss to mourn all at the same time.
0: She was more than a figurehead here in many ways, though I know, like many people around the world who some with who don't even have a close relationship or a close fondness of the monarchy, had a very close affection or a lot of affection for the queen herself. She seemed to be in, to be able to embody both those things, especially later in her life.
5: What's, what's been interesting, I've been listening to a lot of news reports today and people calling in and sharing their personal anecdotes. And at the, at the top of this, you were talking about all the visits she's made to Canada and British Columbia. We actually don't, we don't call those visits, we call them tours, because the Queen is as Canadian as you and I. Uh, King Charles is as He's the personification of Canada uh, now. And she was the personification of Canada for 70 years. And her interactions with people... Uh, indicated that she cared deeply about that role. She wanted to be part of this country. She felt like she was part of this country. She she engaged with people. Uh, she, she never, you know, think about all the engagements over all the years and all the royal tours in Canada. She never once looked aloof or disinterested. She was always there. She was always engaged, and, and she really wanted to be part of our nation, and, and she was.
0: Did you get a chance to see her?
5: I uh, had the opportunity to meet the Queen twice. Um, once on a rope line in Toronto, uh, and another time at what was effectively a state dinner in 2010 uh, in Toronto at the Royal York. I was I was presented as one of the guests uh, waiting in line, and I turned the corner. I handed my my name card to her aide de camp, who shouts out, "Your Majesty, Mr. Keith Roy." And I walked forward and I I meet Prime Minister Harper, and then I do the protocol bow for the queen and she offers her hand which I take and I look up and she's standing there in this just a splendid gown she's got the maple brooch which is her you know her Canadian jewelry uh, and she's wearing the diamond tiara which is not quite as heavy as the crown but it shines quite bright because those are real diamonds and uh, she had this aura about her and it's everything you imagine a queen to be and she she truly was a queen and she knew it she conducted herself accordingly, quietly in the background, gently prodding prime ministers and privy councillors, uh, overseeing things. Active, you know, active in the business of monarchy until the day she died. But she carried herself in a way that um, I've I've met a number of important figures in the world. Um, I've I've never met anyone. Um, I've I've never met a woman. I've never met anyone who could carry themselves with with such poise, grace, power, and presence.
0: What about the rope line? That's that sounds like an interesting encounter. Of course, I've seen as a, as a correspondent. I used to have to see the Queen quite often, but always from a distance, at Canada House in um, in London, for instance. And I was saying earlier in the show that one of the things that always struck me is it didn't matter who was around. So you'd have a whole bunch of people. Either people would show up, for instance, there'd be tourists around Trafalgar Square, and they would all sort of see the cameras and say, "Oh, what's happening?" And you'd be like, "Well, the Queen is arriving to to open Canada House or or, or some such." And everyone would be talking away and talking and talking. And the moment she got out of the car, everything stopped. Yeah, the whole place the, went the, quiet.
5: The rope line was at the opening of the Canadian National Exhibition in Toronto. And her and Prince Philip were, uh, they were such a great tag team. They were walking separate sides of the rope line. And she was on the other side from the one I was on. And a, a young girl standing next to me had some flowers for the Queen. And Prince Philip warped the rope line faster than she did. he He was always a couple steps ahead on the rope line and, and he saw this little girl with flowers and he went back and he crossed to the other side and he got her. He's like, love, love, you have to come over here and get these. And he brought the queen back over in front of us. So she could take the flowers from this little girl. And, and she, you know, she did so graciously and passed them off to her lady in waiting, said a, said a kind word to the little girl and went back to her side of the line. But they were, they were such a great tag team. And to watch her over the last you know year and a half, two years without, Without him by her side, you could see the, and then, you know, on top of that, the the COVID restrictions, you could see that that her health was failing and and she was struggling with some of the events and the mobility issues, but she lost her, she lost her tag team partner and, you know, we can take some comfort in the fact that, you know, today she's reunited with him in whatever spiritual world she finds herself and, and she's at peace.
0: Yeah, that was always one something that people would talk about because, you know, as consort, he always had to be a few steps behind her when she was performing royal duties uh, often. But in life, they really were, you know, two peas in a pod in many ways. And you're right. I mean, the sight of her at his funeral, um, you felt for her in the last few years.
5: Yeah, there was a, a, a funny anecdote for you at, at that same dinner I was at in Toronto. Um, the Prime Minister got up, gave a speech and presented her with a Team Canada, keeping in mind 2010, we had just won the right. gold medal. He presented her with a Team Canada hockey jersey with uh, the royal standard on it that was ultimately installed at the Canadian Hockey Hall of Fame. And when he did this, um, she kind of chuckled and laughed at the thought of being given a hockey jersey. And, and Prince Philip leaned over and him. he, he, he kind of ribbed her almost. And, and I saw him say the words, they think you're a hockey player and they both had a, a a good shuffle together and she got up and uh, you know thanked the prime minister and and enjoyed the display obviously because it was it was a very canadian moment i felt
0: yeah i mean, I mean watching her at those events you always thought man she, she she really knew how to she knew what how to be que- i know this sounds facile but she knew how to be queen and that's not an easy job she did uh, she as i said when i met her i mean she she was the queen and she knew it
5: and she conducted herself accordingly, but she was still approachable and you could still, you know, you, you could still relate to her. She's she's like everybody's grandmother, but she's still the queen. Um, it was a remarkable balance. She's she was able to to manage for 70, for 70 years at the same at the same role.
0: Yeah, it's it's going to be hard to imagine. I can just imagine that everything to do with the Monarchist League of Canada is built around her in many ways, right? I mean, it's essentially been, a, at least in my lifetime, it's been a tribute to Queen Elizabeth II. And now suddenly it is no longer. It must be a bit, it must take time to sink in.
5: Yeah, I, I, I will say to, to your listeners across the country that the system of government in Canada, the constitutional monarchy Uh, which we have benefited from uh, since our inception as a country, um, is a very robust institution. And the crown itself uh, will remain. And the Queen was the personification of the crown for so long and became intertwined with it. But as she leaves us and King Charles comes now, uh, the institution is strong. Our system of government is strong. Um, and our system of government—that that, again, that constitutional monarchy—is one of the reasons that Canada is such a great country, and all the rights and freedoms and structures that we enjoy is a result of that system of government. And it, to compare it—I mean, we can compare it directly to the American system, which is, which is fragile and dependent on the individual in the office, which, as we know these days, is, is divisive, regardless of the party. And Canadians can unite behind the crown and have a political debate on the side. And the Queen did a good job personifying that and Charles will continue that legacy.
2: As her 12th Canadian Prime Minister, I'm having trouble believing that my last sit down with her was my last. I will so miss those chats.
0: Prime Minister Trudeau today, uh, his memories of Queen Elizabeth II uh someone he met as a child and then met again famously when he was older saying that he had, uh, he had been, she had been much taller the first time they met and she quipped that uh, he was making her feel old um she's a tough act to follow uh Keith Roy I mean it'll be tough I think for for Charles to try to find his place in all this because she does leave such a great legacy
5: you know, we need, we need to remember that King Charles III is not Queen Elizabeth II. And he shouldn't be judged that way. She was her own figure. She is iconic, timeless. Uh, he will be a different individual with a different reign. It will obviously be much shorter. No one, um, no one has ever been better prepared to take over the throne than Charles. He was the longest serving monarch in waiting. His entire life has been schooled for this, and he's at a front row seat to one of the greats. So I think with time, um, he will find his footing, but he knows what's in front of him. He knows what's coming, and I think he'll perform admirably if people give him a chance. And the best way, the best way to honor the Queen and her legacy is to do what she would have wanted, which is give our loyalty to her heir and the institution that she oversaw for so many decades.
0: I mean, Charles also has vast knowledge of this country as well. He's been here a number of times, uh, including just recently. Uh, Again, he's someone who is in in all the years that he spent watching his mum work. He's also spent a lot of time visiting this country.
5: Yeah, I had the opportunity to meet then Prince Charles at um, the opening of the Olympic Village in 2009. He came and unveiled a plaque with Camilla, and um, I was pleasantly surprised with how personable he was. He he walked through the room, um, he, had a, he had a drink in one hand, uh, James Moore was in the heritage minister, was kind of guiding him through and he walked through the room and he talked with everybody, shook everybody's hand. And when he was talking to you, he looked you straight in the eye and you felt like there was nobody else in the room. He was so good at it. And it was, it was notable because I've been around a lot of politicians and they, they all wish they had this skill. But he'd be talking to one person. He'd be shaking hands with the next person, looking them in the eye. He'd go back to the previous person. He'd leapfrog to the next one. Um, much like his mother, he was inquisitive. He was interested. Um, and he was engaged in the, in the event itself. And I was, I was very impressed. And I, I think, you know, he had a bit of a tough time and a tough youth. He was, he was the first member of the first era parent to ever kind of grow up in the spotlight, right? There wasn't Mm -hmm. a spotlight before, you know, Elizabeth didn't have to really grow up in much of a spotlight and he grew up in quite a bright one. And so there was no playbook for that. Whereas we had the playbook for William because we saw it with Charles. And so William was raised a little bit differently but Charles is kind of a, a test case for this. Um, but, but in, in his latter years now, um, he's very well equipped to be our King and, you know, God, God saved the King.
0: Yeah. And I think, and this is, um, you know, this, when I met them, I think people may be pleasantly surprised with how um, engaging Camilla can be as well.
5: Oh, she- She's wonderful um, I was uh, much, much your commenter I was very surprised with how engaging she was she um, she had she had no time for protocol it was wonderful I, I have a photo of me standing with my arm around her and and she like, like got right in this is like 10 12 know, like, yeah, 12 13 years ago now she like came right in for a photo and arm around like things you would never think of doing with a member of the royal family um, and and she has been, A remarkable source of strength for Charles and will be a a wonderful Queen consort for him in in helping him carry out his duties, much like we saw Prince Philip help the Queen. That's a tough job to do alone. Um, And it's nice that he has, you know, quite frankly, he's got the love of his life with him. Like those two were always meant to be together and time just didn't allow it to happen.
0: Keith Roy, we will be uh, watching A Coronation before too, too long. Um, I hope to speak to you again. Thanks so much for your time tonight. Thanks, man. Have a great night.